Welcome to Credo's Biblical Theology Podcast, where biblical theology is placed in conversation with the great tradition. Our um, distinguished guest is William Marsh, Billy. He normally goes by Billy. Uh, I sometimes call him Billiam, but he doesn't know that. And so he is the Associate Professor of Theology and Director of MDiv Programs at Cedarville University. Um, and, and the reason he's on today is we're going to be talking about the impact and influence of Luther's commentary on Galatians. And so it's going to be sort of a history of interpretation aspect to it, but then also an encouragement to everyone to, um, to not leave yourself um, away from this, from this resource. And so if you're preaching through Galatians or you're just interested in the interpretation of uh, how Luther went about things, we hope that it's really helpful and then um, devotional even on just as you work your way through Galatians and your Bible reading, these sorts of things. So uh, how are you, sir? Are you doing all right? I'm doing great. Thanks, Sam, and it's a pleasure to be be with you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I want to highlight a few things just at the front um, so we can get those in there for you. So, folks, he he's worked a good bit on Luther. That's uh, how I got to know him, even, those sorts of things. But one book I want to highlight that, that he um, wrote and, and that you would want to get a hold of is called Martin Luther, on the on on reading the Bible as Christian scripture, so that's one you want to mm-hmm. check into. But he's also worked on Matthew and the Reformation commentary series, and and wrote a chapter on on medieval uh, doctrine of scripture in the medieval era with the history of theology of the church with Doctor Dusing and um, Nathan Finn as well. And so some those are some of the resources you can check into. And and again, we'll be talking about Luther today. So uh, just to set the scene a little bit. Billy, my, you know, I'm no Luther scholar. That's why you're here. But a couple things. <laughs> this is a very um, a famed commentary, and a, a few things that I'll just mm-hmm. throw out to the crowd that you can confirm or deny, <clears throat> and then maybe even add to. Is I, I remember reading, um, but I couldn't actually find it for this particular thing. So maybe you know where it is. But that Luther uh, referred to Galatians as his little Katie, and that he was he was betrothed mm-hmm. to, to Galatians by. Um, by God. And I was like, that is an amazing mm-hmm. thing to say, even even from Luther. And then also Bunyan. Um, I was uh, working through Bunyan's The Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners, and mm-hmm. he mentioned it, that he in many ways yes. didn't quite understand the gospel or justification until he had worked his way through Luther's commentary on Galatians. So, yeah, I mean, it's an important book. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And just as anybody wanted to kind of check those out, where, you know, where they're at with the, at least where he says that it, epistle uh his epistle to the galatians is his katie uh he he says that just just kind of uh offhand a little bit in his table talk okay uh and uh and so you can find it there and he just says you know really you know how endearing uh that uh, that work of his is to him and uh, of course he loved uh, katie and and so that was a, a great compliment that he's paying to that particular publication which Luther doesn't always um, express delight in everything that he he writes and, and publishes, kind of in retrospect. Uh, the Bunyan one, you know, yeah, it's uh, when you read that in Grace Abounding, it's it's encouraging to hear uh, as um, similar to kind of the story that you hear a lot about, where Wesley talks about hearing uh, Luther's preface to Romans and how his heart was strangely warmed. And here you have Bunyan reading Luther's Galatians and just it being an eye-opening experience for him to really kind of understand the gospel afresh uh, just shows the enduring legacy that these works have had, not only today, but even, you know, um, 
a decent amount of time after Luther's uh, uh, own career as a reformer. So, well, okay. So just to give, and I know this is, this is tough, but give like a thumbnail sketch, if you would, not just of Galatians, but rather how, I mean, Luther is insanely busy, right? And, and Mm -hmm. so if he's going to uh, preach through a book or he's going to work his way through some lectures on Psalms or whatever, what was his typical way of attacking a book? How did he kind of get it ingested in himself? And, and I guess you could term it exegetical method or something like that. But how would he mm-hmm. work his way through eventually producing something like this on the back end? What, how did he go about yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah, and I guess to answer the question at you know, one level, it, it would probably require to say, you know, when are we talking about in Luther's uh, career with the Bible? I mean, early on when he does his first lectures on the Psalms in 1513 to 1515, he, he definitely has a lot of the medieval fourfold method that he's working within, kind of a little bit standard practice, but but still making it his own. In fact, a lot of studies on Luther's kind of biblical interpretation or hermeneutics see a shift taking place within um, those first lectures in Luther's kind of approach that he takes. Uh, there's debate on whether that's legitimate or not, but um, you definitely are going to find a different Luther engaging the text there methodologically than you will in the Galatians lectures uh, of 1535. And so um, I'd say, you know, the mature Luther, or at least where he kind of stables out what he's doing in his Reformation program or evangelical kind of new theology that he has post the Heidelberg Disputation in 1518 um is he's going to um he's going to he's going to practice those rhetorical and literary uh tools that he has through that biblical humanism that has made such an impact at that time uh and he's going to work through the words of the text he's going to go through it verse by verse mostly you know speaking here of the commentary itself not sermons will have a little different um structure to them but if he's lecturing on a on a book, uh, he's going to go, you know, and by by verses or uh, by sections, um, chapter by chapter, and make comments and try to interpret, uh, you know, what a, what a word means. He'll make comments on translation, and he'll even make comments about manuscript um, decisions and things like that. And so it'll have a it'll have a fairly familiar uh, commentary feel to it i guess maybe the differences would be in that you know he is still technically you know a pre-modern in that that respect and so making those kind of comments and interpretive decisions are are not the extent of what it means for him to do exegesis so i mean this is where sometimes it can be you're not sure if you're in a sermon or if you're in a lecture because for luther you the, the word is living it's a it's alive and 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 when you read it and you meditate on it and you wrestle with those words uh, the lord speaks and he addresses you and so um luther's going to um have that kind of sermonic quality to his commentary because it's the word and the word addresses the reader and it confronts him and summons him or her to respond and respond in ways that are also indicative of the kind of response the Lord approves, which is faith and hope uh, and love and those things. And so 
um, they're they're always edifying Noreen because he he never just kind of states the facts and moves on. Um, I, you know, you you still feel find a variety, you know, and so there's a reason we're talking about the lectures uh, and commentary on Galatians instead of maybe his work on the the minor prophets or something. Right. So you know, the there there's still diversity with uh, the extent to which he'll do all of those things at once, but. Um, He's going to work through the verses and, and seek to interpret them um, and make sense of them. But but he's also going to direct that word uh, to kind of have it look you in the eye and uh, and, and realize you're, you're hearing and having to respond to that living voice of God. Okay, so you've uh, kind of already hinted at this, but these were lectures or this was a commentary? And maybe just work on the nuances yeah. of that a little bit. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, so— Actually, this is the second time Luther lectures on Galatians. Um, he he lectured on it originally as far back as kind of his early years, uh, and uh, 15, 16, I think. Uh, he does it right after he finishes up with Romans. And so some of what is happening with Luther and Romans getting a hold of him is continuing into these early lectures, these first lectures on Galatians in 15, 16. I think they go through, you know, 15, 17 or something, because right after that he moves into Hebrews, and then he goes and lectures on the Psalms again. And uh, and so that it's really interesting to kind of read both the early lectures from uh, 15, 16, which get published as a commentary in 15, 19. So they they begin as lectures, but then they get edited, and then they enter print in 1519. Um, the same similar thing happens here with the later or the second Galatians lecture, where he he lectures on these in 1531, and uh, they get edited and then are produced as a commentary in 1535. So the answer is, I guess, yes. You know, in the sense that they they were lectures. In fact, if I may be wrong here, but I think that these are actually the last time that Luther formally lectures on a New Testament book. Um, and uh, the rest of what he does is, is really Old Testament for the remainder of his kind of the 1530s and, and to his death. Okay. So so the commentary on Galatians when he gets published in 1535 is a, is a huge deal because uh, obviously anybody tracking with Luther over his writing knows how important justification by faith is. And so uh, this is a, this is kind of a, almost has a life's work feel to it. Um, and so it, it gets edited carefully and it gets very intentionally uh, published and uh, disseminated and spread. And it goes through multiple issues, um, even within his own life and, uh, and, and uh, decades after him. And I think the uh, the Latin is <clears throat> included in in uh, the Latin edition of his writings, and then there's they, it goes undergoes a German translation as well, and so it, it really becomes um, already uh, something that is uh, received highly and um, and read and 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 mass produced in some sense, you know. But yeah, so it's it's a commentary, but. They originate as lectures in that regard, too. And I guess that one thing to note on that is that it's happening – I don't know how many people make note of this, but it's happening right after uh, the um, Augsburg Confession. Uh, and so the Diet of Augsburg uh, happens, and this is really where you know, you're establishing kind of an evangelical confession 
um, <clears throat> in distinction from the, the Roman Catholic uh, norm. And, and Luther leaves that, uh, that moment, and the first thing he does is begin to lecture on Galatians. And so there's, there's definitely a relationship, I think, between uh, its proximity to wrapping up the um, Dogsburg kind of moment. I know really key to his to the argument and even flow of how the the lectures the the commentary works is his uh, quote unquote the argumentum or or Luther's declaration mm-hmm. that he kind of sets out where he's headed and casts the die. Talk to us about that mm-hmm. and the importance it played. Yeah, great. Um, so and that ties into also some of the work that I did originally on Luther and how he reached the Bible's Christian scripture. So kind of in that first work that you mentioned um, is where I, I I try to pay attention to Luther's prefaces that he wrote um, to his uh, German Bible for all the books of the Bible and see what they tell us about a consistent kind of hermeneutic or Luther's biblical theology, we might say. And that's a practice that's really old in the church. You know, Jerome um, wrote prefaces, and and the medieval period begins to pick that back up as well. And so Luther carries that practice on. And, and what that preface becomes is this argumentum, this argument. And Calvin will do this as well. Uh, Melanchthon does it. Um, in fact, there's good evidence to show that even Melanchthon's uh, preface to Romans is something that um, Luther himself is indebted to when he writes his own. And so uh, it's it's this kind of, again, this biblical humanist attempt to pay attention to the flow of a biblical author's argument, not just kind of his ideas or major themes or something, but what what's the kind of synopsis of what that book of the Bible or books of the Bible, because Luther has a preface to the whole prophet's as a as a kind of a grouping, um, you know, what is it? What's it, what is? What are we trying to say? What are we trying to say? And so, Luther has his argumentum to his lectures in the published form in 1535. And so, um, what he's saying is that as you as you engage Paul and as you read him and even as you listen to Luther comment on Paul, like you you just really have to get that this is this is the discussion. And for Luther, that was that Paul was trying to distinguish true Christian righteousness from all other perceivable kinds of righteousness, whether that's political, civil, uh, moral. Um, If you don't understand that, then you're going to misread Galatians, not just misunderstand Luther's lectures on Galatians. And and so he's going to talk in those first couple of pages about what is passive righteousness, that righteousness is not something that I'm accruing or that I'm earning or, or achieving uh, righteousness is something I'm receiving and I'm receiving it not by doing, but by believing by faith. So a lot of the kind of repeated moments in the, in the commentary itself are given preview in some of that early analysis that Luther does in that argument section that prefaces the rest of the commentary. It's, it's very helpful. So that's something if you, if you happen to pick it up and read it, you don't want to skip that and just go straight to somewhere in the, the commentary. You, you definitely want to read that because it'll clue you in as to what the nature of that commentary is doing as a whole. And I think it's important even, you know, as a, a layman of sorts that I'm, I'm reading it and what I recognize to be somewhat, he's, he's doing some things almost redundantly and you, you've informed that's not actually what he's doing. Like he, he actually has mm-hmm. a gospel grammar that he is trying to 
set forth and he's going to hit that over and over and over again. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. He does, you know, and, and Luther can't be, he can't be accused of redundancy or verbosity, you know, use a lot of words and, you know, you don't have to, but the, the point of the commentary is that he believes that Galatians in particular here is trying to train the reader to really learn how to speak gospel. Um, how to how to speak the biblical gospel? That's that is also the biblical gospel, not just of Paul and Galatians, but really is about how to rightly read Abraham, how to understand Moses, how to read the whole Bible, uh, in in terms of what does it mean for the triune God to save us and to be with us. And so, the repetitions are are intentional in 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 one respect because just like anything you. You need to keep getting reps at something to get better at it. And so the Galatians commentary is also the place where you'll often hear Luther talk about the importance of distinguishing between the law and the gospel or learning this art is the most important thing a Christian can do. So he has all these little anecdotes, these sound bites throughout the commentary that have become fairly popular now in, in terms of kind of Luther you know, quote, quotable moments, but, but that's because it is an art. And like any art, you, you certainly learn it by doing and, and catching it more and more every time. And so as you read the commentary, Luther and all of his kind of maybe what be seen as redundancy, he's actually just giving you more and more opportunity to, to let that grammar kind of soak in. And then it becomes second nature for you in the way that you think about good works or the way you think about faith and way you think about love and, and things like that. So he's really trying to retrain uh, there uh, as well. And so it, it, it's a teaching moment for him. It's, it's teaching that grammar of the gospel, like always learning that according to Paul in Galatians, um, the justification by faith and not by works of the law is always learning to say no to anything that's not Christ and yes, only to Christ. So, so any, any, any time you have something that sounds like gospel crop up, you've been taught the grammar to know if it's anything not Christ, then no. And if it's Christ alone, then yes. Or like a Galatians 2.20, not I, but Christ. Um, and, and so learning that grammar, you know, oh, no, it's not me. It's only me in Christ. And actually, it's Christ in me. And and that reframes the way you understand doing religious things or uh, being a member of the church or understanding what it means to be a part of society and, and all of those things that will take and turn into some type of capital that we have with God or currency with him that gets his approval. Um, the, the grammar that he's training you to think about how to distinguish those things, whether they're passive or active righteousness or law from gospel or Moses from Christ, uh, all of those different things, um, they're, they're training you so that those become now intuitive, instinctive, and, and the commentary is a master class in that. That's great. Okay, housekeeping question uh, for the listener. Who, what format, what uh, volume should they grab if they're looking uh, to get this? <laughs> what, what should they go get? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, if you want the whole work, you really uh, have to get the the Luther Works uh, critical edition volume, uh, and it's in two volumes. It's the American edition of Luther's works. It's volumes 
26 and 27. And actually, volume 27 includes the 15, 19 lectures on Galatians 2. So it's pretty handy if you're really interested. You know, it's you get the 1519 and the 1535. You read them all together in two volumes. And those Luther Works volumes are always nicely done and easy to use and nice hardbacks and stuff like that. You know, um, if you don't, if that's too much, Craigle has an old edition. It, at times it's been in and out of print. I have a copy of it. In fact, it was my first copy of uh, Luther's Lectures on Galatians I ever got. Um, is, is, and yours, it has this, is it the electric green one? Is that the one you have? Yeah. Okay. That's is, what, man, I love it. I that's, love it. Yeah. That's with me right now. So that's, that's uh, the only one that I have. Okay. Yeah, my students. I'll every now and then I'll I'll have a quote from Luther and I'll I'll find that cover and I'll use it for my slide that I present in class. And like, what is that cover? You know, and I'm like, oh my goodness, y'all, you don't even understand yeah. how amazing that book is. And then I had a student walk into my office one day and they saw it and they're like, is that is that the green Galatians? I was like, yes, sir. Yeah. But don't touch it. You yeah. know. Yeah. So. Don't touch it, it'll fall <laughs> apart. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then um, Banner Truth, I think. You know, um, I think it's them that do it. They they have some shorter kind of commentaries from the reformers uh, as well as Puritans and stuff on books of the Bible. I think you can get a a really really abridged version there uh, of Luther on Galatians. Okay. Um, but the the Craigle one with the green cover is definitely worthwhile because you you get a lot of the the commentary. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Okay, well, let's indulge uh, a bit of a counterfactual. Um, so what <laughs> what would we be bereft of had Luther, um, one, not engaged with Galatians like that, but then m- most of all for the point of the conversation, like if he had not worked on this particular book, what, what, what would we be missing? It's hard to say because actually the way that Luther's commentary on Galatians is received by the next generation of Lutherans after him that also write commentaries on Galatians it is somewhat uneven. They, they, they definitely show that they are Luther's um, they're in, they're in, they're in that generation, you know, they've been influenced by him, but they are, they also show that they have kind of done some things differently and it's not like just a total repristination of Luther's commentary. And so it's not like, Oh, you know they're they're just reproducing the same old Luther commentary, and so you, you see him almost just being carried in a heavy presence there in that way. You know, for the next couple of generations of of writing Galatians commentaries, but you know what what I think we would miss is that that commentary, regardless of how it's received initially, um, has been highly influential for um, the kind of standard normative. Um, statements and and um, uh, affirmations and this and not that kind of thing about what we probably take to be some of the standard ways we speak about the solas, you know, faith alone, okay. Christ alone. Uh, I would even say scripture alone. Um, the the commentary is really is a really wonderful and rich place to listen to the the Reformation of the Protestant Reformation. Um, doctrine of word and spirit, um, and uh, and so Luther's always kind of still having that polemical discussion where he may be trying to talk, you know, contrary to the um, the papists or you know his Roman Catholic adversaries at the time, 
but he also might be trying to say some things against the what he perceives to be the enthusiasts or the spiritualists, the Anabaptists, who maybe have flipped word and spirit to be spirit and word. And so, you know, you, you get a lot of uh, good comments there on things that for us would just be common way of speaking about the exclusive nature of faith and grace and Christ um, alone, that Galatians itself is uh, is really where we get a lot of those kind of formulations. Not the only place, but definitely kind of some definitive ways to put it. Um, so we'd still be able to say those things, of course, in Protestant ways without that particular commentary. On the other hand, this commentary is where a lot of them are kind of said with a period, you know, at the end. Right. Um, and and, uh, and I think that that's, uh, that's part of it. I think this this is a place where Luther does a lot of that, the, the law and gospel distinction. So Reformed tradition, Lutheran tradition, uh, the evangelical kind of heritage of law and gospel distinction, um, that is kind of running like a you know a, um, a thread through the commentary on how to do that, um, how how not to turn Christ into a Moses um, as a lawgiver. Instead, Christ is, is is a promise to you, and that's why you re, you're saved by faith and not by works. You know, so that distinguishing that art of distinguishing law and gospel, I think we would be missing kind of a grand demonstration of what that looks like in practice, um, not only in working with the biblical text as an interpretive device, but also in um, in the application of the fruit of that commentary work on a, on a, on a book of the Bible to um, hearers of the word for their, for the good of their own souls. Um, and, uh, and so there's some things we probably take for granted that if we didn't have it, we'd be trying to figure out where else can we find it. Yeah. Okay, a little bit different one, so um, shooting us into the future and present a little bit. Mm -hmm. Modern scholarship, modern commentaries, what are they missing on Galatians that that, uh, that Luther got? <laughs> right, yeah. Um, I think, we, I think we're, we could be safe to say now um, that Galatians commentaries are still uh, indebted to Luther's. Uh, if you pick up anything from whether it's a, a Moo commentary, a Doug, Douglas Moo, Doug Moo's commentary on Galatians, to uh, Timothy George's that has been reissued and updated, which is already kind of a, a modern classic on, on Galatians, um, and even older ones, um, despite the kind of ongoing uh, discussions over the last however many years with new perspective on Paul um, uh, proposals and, and so forth, that Galatians commentaries continue to use Luther positively, whether it is to, to express what it means to talk about Christian freedom, um, how to understand uh, righteousness, justification, um, the works of the law uh, discussion, Galatians 2.20, uh, I've been crucified with Christ or boasting only on the cross. I mean, so even if you want to say you maybe got some things wrong about uh, Judaism of the first century or something, I have found that many still regard him as immensely helpful and a rich resource for articulating these things um, that Paul's trying to get across in, in a very enduring way. Um, what it would be missing 
um, you know, I, I think if they're not paying attention to Luther and what he's doing, the one thing we might miss is a is a very strong sense that for God to be gracious to us means for him to give us Jesus Christ. So for Luther, a theology of gift is central to his understanding of Christ alone and grace alone. And that comes out from really start to finish on the commentary. And I do think that that's um, something that is present within Paul's own theology of those same things. And I think Luther's just reading him really well there. Um, and so kind of a theology of gift. And I think John Barclay, who's written so much now and has become kind of the standard um, right now in that discussion on Paul and the gift, uh, I think he's recognized that it, uh, as well, that Luther is, is, is hearing Paul uh, acutely that gift and, um, is the nature of what it means to receive God's grace. And that gift given to people who are ungodly, who are sinners, who do, do not have any any worth of their own to merit God's favor or to enter into a relationship with him, whether it's circumcision or uncircumcision, whether it's slave or free or male or female, Jew or Gentile, God gives grace to all in Christ Jesus. Um, and this is what saves and this brings worth where there is none um, on any account. And Barclay, a lot of a lot of what he has done is tried to illuminate that within Paul's theology. And I think he himself still finds Luther is is getting to the heart of that in his own commentary. And and I, so I, I think if if you're not listening to, to Luther there, um, you may not see the the presence of this um, theology of divine gift as really what it means to talk about grace. Um, maybe as strongly as emphasized as um, you would on your own, perhaps. But again, that's another hy- hypothetical, you know, too, in some sense. But yeah, that's great. Okay, so the Lord tarries. If in 500 years the Lord has tarried, will we still be reading this commentary, and will it still be helpful? Oh yeah, I I, I believe so, and I think a testimony to that is the fact that we're reading it right now. Right. Um, you know, five five hundred years for something to be um, to keep being read, written by human for five hundred years, probably is already a testimony to the fact that it's going to hang around a lot longer. Um, and uh, and I and I think uh, you know Luther himself and and his writing is is such a a part of, of world history, um, Western history. And you just remember, as long as we care about those kind of things, his his writings will stay with us. Um, maybe not all of them, again, to the same degree, but definitely the commentary on Galatians. And I think, again, that's because this commentary is just a, a an extended, in-depth, a doxological, devotional meditation on the nature of the gospel. And I think as long as the church cares about the gospel, which I hope is the case in 500 years, um, they'll always find Luther to be a breath of fresh air there um, and uh, an incredible resource um, to draw from on how to continue 
to talk about the gospel according to the scriptures and in every generation. So, so I think so, but okay. I'm biased. You yeah, know, so. of course. No, it's good. <laughs> well, okay. Well, thank you. This is a, I have one last question for you and it's sort of a, a final segment that I do, but, um, Mm-hmm. And we just call it books in your bag. So anything you're reading doesn't have to have mm-hmm. anything to do with Luther. With you, it probably does, but maybe it doesn't. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah, just it could be a fiction, could be something you're reading to kids, who, whatever it may be. Anything in your bag you, you've been enjoying lately? Oh, man, now you're going to stump me, you know, uh, because I do have things, but I don't even now, – now I'm going to freeze. Um <laughs> So, <laughs> uh, let's see. I mean, I have been reading, um, which ties into what we're talking about. Um, Jonathan Linebow's, um, or it may be Linebow, I'm, I'm not exactly sure, uh, his collection of essays on the Word of the Cross, Reading Paul, okay. um, which are outstanding. And uh, he talks about some of what we're discussing, but he, he, it's a collection of more of his essays on Pauline studies. And he's just, I'm really impressed with his writing, um, his thinking, and how he handles the history of tradition and contemporary scholarship. Just very impressive, very rich, very edifying. Um, <clears throat> oh, let's see, what else? I enjoy reading uh, Cavan Rowe. Um, and uh, uh, I've been, I've finished a while back his book, World Upside Down on Acts, but I've had his book on One True Life uh, for a while, but I just never, never gotten the chance to kind of finish it. And so I'm, I'm back into it and I, and I love it, uh, reading it. Um, and I appreciate the work that he's doing there. Um, just the, the fact that the, the gospel does not leave room for, for anybody else or any other worldview or ideology to take up space. It's, it's very much uh, kind of an all-or-nothing Christ uh, is your life uh, understanding of, of uh, Christianity. So, and then um, reading at home, we spend a lot of time right now on a sports field, and uh, so we're we're uh, we're probably by the time we get home to read, everybody's is uh, is about to fall asleep. But I, I will give a shout out to some uh, children's books that we we have enjoyed reading lately with uh, especially Layla, our little girl, um, or, or some of them that are put out by Lexham Press in their uh, Fat Cat series. Yeah. Um, and uh, Todd Haynes is the author, a few of them, uh, Harold uh, St. Bile, but uh, on the Apostles' Creed, the Lord's Prayer, I think they now have one on the Ten Commandments. Um, well, they're just, they're just really good and appreciate the artwork and also how they're teaching my kids the faith. And so those have been fun to read and, and work through together with our family. So yeah, and and no no uh, Luther scholar of ill repute and and Haynes himself. So he's a good one to check into. Luther, so. <laughs> yes, yeah. Todd's a Todd's a good brother. I appreciate him and what he's doing there. So well, great, mm-hmm. brother. Thank you so much for just spending some time with us and, and helping us think through Galatians and and the impact and influence uh, this particular uh, Luther commentary has had on on uh, interpretation of Scripture. Um, so yeah thank you so much and and until next time we'll we'll catch you again thanks Sam I appreciate you so much and for the opportunity to talk about these things especially here on Reformation um, Reformation Day and so I'm grateful for the opportunity thank you so much absolutely thanks okay bye
This podcast is a product of Credo Magazine. For more resources like this, visit credomag.com. The theme song for the Biblical Theology Podcast is Space Cadet by Philanthropy and Sleepy Fish, provided courtesy of Chill Hop Music. This podcast is hosted by Dr. Sam Beerig and produced by Ben Van Holstein.